0: as a child. Welcome, Slimesters, to another Nightmares as a Child minisode. I'm your ghoulish co-host, Brett, and today we're going to do things a little bit differently because I have a special guest sharing some of their nightmares with me along with myself for one of these creepy Are You Afraid of the Dark Tales for this spooky season this October. So without further ado, I'm going to introduce one of my best friends and good buddies from childhood, Maxwell from Relic Podcast to tell us a little bit about one of the freakiest, most wildest monsters to ever grace, Are You Afraid of the Dark? The Dead Man's Float Pool Corpse. Welcome to the show, Max.
1: Thank you, Brett. It's good to be here. I'm sorry I didn't come prepared with a ghoulish voice. And um, if you're gonna be doing that the whole episode, should I get you a a cough drop now or?
0: (laughs) No, no, that's just for my intro. Just to set the tone, (laughs) yeah.
1: Awesome. Well, I'm really happy to be here. I love nerding out about my childhood. And uh, Are You Afraid of the Dark was a huge influence on anything creative to come after in my life in terms of writing and uh interests uh in horror movies and genre so uh yeah i'm really
0: excited to talk about it i'm as well i mean it's it's quite a big influence in both of our lives it seems among many of our listeners and uh, i know this is a a popular tale from what i've gathered around the 90s nick community so we might as well just dive right into uh what are your memories of the dead man's float pool zombie
1: so I think I was built for horror at an early age because the only two episodes of You for the Dark that actually ever scared me are the one with the monster with the glowing eyes in the basement mm. that uh, would come Tell out the whenever- the dark music. Yes, when the music would play. And I think that's because there's sort of a school of thought where it's what you don't see that's often scarier than what you do see because your brain fills in the gaps. But the second one was the uh, the dead man's float, which is what we're going to be talking about today. So, um, what I did is I didn't reference any photos of what it looked like before I rewatched it. So, spoilers, I did rewatch it. What I did was I actually sat down and wrote out everything from memory from what I remembered of the episode. And I actually. Pretty much hit the mark. 85 percent of what I wrote down from memory was the plot. I got some of the characters wrong, like some of like the minutiae, but I remembered the whole. It's the 19, starts in the 1950s. It's the, they seal at the pool, all of that. But most distinctly, I remembered what the monster looks like, and I wrote down a description before I watched it. And I was thinking to myself, you know. I remembered it being very, like, that's what's so scary about the whole episode is that monster design. It really comes down. To, the tension is there. I think it's really, for 26, 24 minutes, it's actually a really tight script for a children's show. It's actually, you know, from like, not, you can't really judge a children's show at the same standard as like writing for adults. But, In so far as that goes, it was actually really well written, but that monster design, I was just embedded in my memory. And so I was thinking before I rewatched it, it can't be that scary. I'm going to like rewatch it and I'm going to see the seams or the zippers or little elements here or there, Um, and it's going to, the illusions can be ruined. And I'm actually really proud of whoever did that design because. When it came out of the water again, I just my first thought was like, "Oh no, it definitely stands the test of time. That is a fantastic monster design." I it, and it's simple. I, re, I remember the, I remember you know on the the most recent watch this afternoon, probably twenty twenty five years after I originally watched this episode, I remember thinking, "What works about it is how simple it is." And I remember thinking at the time, watching it, how kind of weird it was that it was this sort of like this reddish color. And then when you rewatching it, they mentioned how the chemical turns things red. And so it made so much sense. And that kind of like bloody look, it almost is bloody. and quite honest, that should not have been children's <laughs> That like, I mean, not, not only just because it is really freaky and that's probably why it it, you know, lingers in my head, but also because I almost think it's wasted. <laughs> it's something like that. I mean, yeah, it's a very simple design. When you're looking at it, it's the Dead Man's Float Monster. Is that what it's called? The Dead Man's Float Corpse Monster? Does it have a name?
0: It doesn't have an official name. Um, I saw in the credits it was called Zombie, but I like to call it the Pool Corpse because it, it fits the bill and it sounds creepier.
1: Yeah, and I also, I don't even remember what the, uh, what the original explanation for it was. I know that, you know, rewatching you said it's like a spirit that was lingering from when they, they kind of pulled a pol- poltergeist and they moved the graves and they forgot to move one body and that's probably the the spirit, which kind of uh, leaves a lot of lingering questions about how the metaphysics work of a spirit that can be defeated with um, methyl orange and mag- yeah. magnite? I don't Man- know. Manganite. I
0: wrote it down. Be as uh, put it.
1: Yeah, uh, science checks out, I'm sure. Uh, But what was it really does stand the test of time. It kind of reminds me a little bit of Vecna from Stranger Things. If you've seen that. Don't spoil it.
0: Yeah. I won't, I won't. There is
1: a monster <laughs> in Stranger Things that looks very similar to I, I know this. what he
0: looks like. I just don't know his background and I don't want it spoiled because I've seen the I have. Time.
1: I actually don't either. I, mean, I feel like we're such bad nerds. We're admitting we haven't seen the most recent. I'm just waiting
0: Stranger. for the hype to die down so I can enjoy it personally. <laughs>
1: I'll probably rewatch it around Halloween. I'm going through some spooky shows right now. Cool. Anyways, what I caught this time around was when Zeke, Zeke is the name of the kid, right? The, the, the male lead. He says that he almost drowned because of um, plant matter and weeds holding him down. When you look at this corpse monster, I didn't put two and two together about why it looks so like, like um, almost like silly string or like tendons or something. Mm-hmm. But I think the whole idea is it's supposed to look like um, plant matter or weeds or gnarls because it's basically a manifestation of his fear. Mm-hmm. And that is, I don't know if that was intentional, But if it is, that is such a brilliant detail that makes me think that whoever was asked to to do this monster design really paid attention to that script and really did their best with so little. Because it is pretty low budget, although I do have to say that the scene where he slashes the monster initially, trying to attack it, and it kind of, it basically, it it shows that the monster is made out of water and it like goes through. For the 90s, I thought it was a really well-done, very simple CGI. And so I'd love to know, because I don't have this information, maybe you do, I'd love to know the the effects budget, um, what practical effects were done, because really the monster's only around for, I would say, visually around, for maybe five minutes at the end of the episode. Yeah, about a quarter
0: of the episode time. Yeah,
1: and and they just sort of do the jaws kind of underwater, which is also really well done. Um, It really kind of, and I think that's, what I said earlier about it's its about what you don't see that's often scarier because you're wondering what it looks like. But this almost surpasses that expectation because it's like, it's actually scarier. It's actually scarier than what you think it is. When that thing came out, I was like, oh, that's too much. Like, it, I mean, the fact that that's burned in my memory, and this is probably one of the few Are You Afraid of the Dark episodes that I, you know, Two decades, maybe more. I don't know how old it is anymore. After watching it, I could write almost that all of that um, that plot from memory and describe the monster without seeing it again. I mean, that really does that's a testament to just all of the um, design work and story work that it went into this. Uh,
0: yeah. But yeah, I mean, um, t- to answer your question off the bat, Anique Chartier was the lead makeup artist on that show, and she was actually part of episode seven, which is the Are You Afraid of the Dark 30th anniversary reunion that we did exclusively on SWAT Attack. Um, and while oh she- Oh my gosh. Yeah, and while she- Sorry, did, so you've met her? Yeah, a couple of times. I've talked to her for a while. i made the Scary Tales Are You Afraid of the Dark book, too.
1: No, <laughs> I'm sorry. So you basically, you went to the source. So she designed, that. what was it, a Halloween costume? What? What, what, uh, I need to I, unfortunately,
0: cover. that didn't come up during the conversation. Oh, we talked God. more about the Quicksilver Demon's makeup more than anything, uh, which That's is fair. also pretty s- freaky. And we have a nightmares as a child episode coming up for that. Hint, hint. But um, I, I, I can't really speak too much on that. I just know that I remember seeing her like apply all that red makeup to her and using like bits of fish netting and hair in a, a prosthetic chest. And the guy was walking around on the studio back a lot of Nickelodeon studios in like these ragged pants. And and (laughs) pretty much just said, they said to him, get in the water (laughs) and, uh, you know, do the shots really quick. So he didn't have to hold his breath too long. It's Uh, such
1: a a simple and effective design. And the whole the tying the red look, which I finally picked up on after like,
0: yeah years, as you can tell well, i'm aren't... actually doing the color scheme right here with the, oh yes the you bluish are water and the the red body to mimic that that was intentional. Is
1: she's is she still in the industry
0: oh yeah she's she's oh good uh, quite Thank quite busy <laughs> with many uh feature films i remember she did a lot of x x-men's films recently you could always check, okay, her, on, cool. check her on imdb but yeah she's still doing stuff good for her yeah yeah um Um, i guess
1: the one thing i wanted to to mention on this was that i don't know if you caught this line but when zeke takes uh clarice which sounds like chlorine which i'm wondering if that (laughs) that wasn't that's so funny when they when when they take her into the the boys changing room she says if this is your big surprise i've seen it
0: before and i was like
1: (laughs) really what does that mean yeah yeah Yeah, that was
0: something that i picked up on as an adult (laughs) Yeah, that's that's very similar to the writing in at the end of the bookish babysitter, where Belinda's like, "I've already been paid, Mrs. Winters," and I'm like, "Are you a prostitute?" (laughs) That's that's where my my mind jumps immediately.
1: Get that money. Uh, Okay.
0: (laughs) Yeah, I really think it's an effective monster, like you. Dark music and dead men's flow are like the two scariest. Uh, episodes that stood the test of time for me and still hold up incredibly well because it leads your mind to wonder, to fill in all the gaps. Uh, Dream Girl being my third favorite, but that's more of a sentimental one than a scary one.
1: Anything with the ghosts, I just thought was good writing. And a lot of those ghost stories really still, the, the dollhouse one, the, the Quicksilver monster was, I do remember that one, with the shadow coming out of the wall. Yep. There's just, you know, there is a lot of really high quality writing for children's shows. Because first of all, to make something scary is hard. It's yes. hard to write something scary
0: because it's so Especially these days because emotion. everyone's desensitized.
1: Yeah, and, and we're seeing, I think we are especially this year, seeing a... Um, uh, a return to form with a lot of horror, and a lot of cool ideas, especially like in the scene of horror. But it's it's hard to do horror, and it's hard to do horror for kids because you have to do something that's not gory or, well, I mean, you know, it varies from society to society. Yeah. And like even seeing, even this, I don't think today you can show on television. I think there would be too many complaints. So we really kind of grew up in a golden
0: age. I, I'm not going to talk too much about my, my recounting of the tale. I mean, everyone, who's in the Are You Afraid of the Dark community, loves and knows Dead float pretty well. It was told by Stig, it was season five, episode one, and oddly enough, this tale didn't get him into the Midnight Society. He had to come back two episodes later to tell the tale of Station 109.1, which I thought was a low blow, but when I interviewed D J McHale about that question, uh, he mentioned, you know, it wasn't tied exactly to the tale because the Midnight Society segments are filmed differently. They just wanted to put so a I twist thought. on the character to get to get him in. So it had no correlation with the quality of the story, which I was. Yeah. Trying to find out because, man, if you bring your A game from day one and you can't get in, what's wrong with these kids?
1: Well, it's, I forget her name, but it's the kind of posh like prissy girl that I think was the dissenting vote.
0: Uh, yeah when Sam they voted at the end Sam and Kiki yeah. were not fans of Stig because he was stinky and a little bit obnoxious but not intentionally uh, so what are Play what myself. are some of our childhood memories that are really to the dead men's float pool zombie that you can recall that really I mean they don't necessarily have to traumatize you they could just be vivid memories but you know when it comes to nightmares as a child I like to think of spooky stories that we came up with that really affected us as a kid Pools,
1: yeah, definitely pools after watching that. Um, I think what got me is something about the when they got out of the pool, like the the whole like the, when your foot is just dangling and can still grab you. Something mm-hmm. about that—it's leaving the pool—that always got to me. And I and I, I would always think about that episode when I whenever I saw like um, a um, like an official school pool, not like like one you go to on vacation or one that's like the YMCA.
0: So,
1: yeah, like the YMCA, and you know even I. I did a little bit of swimming with the swim team here in Sydney because I wanted to work on my cardio. I got into athletics like two years ago after COVID. was sort of like the lockdowns were lifted. So I wanted to, you know, boost my cardio by swimming, which is, by the way, very hard. Swimming is a very hard sport, and I do wrestling.
0: Oh, I know. Uh, I, okay. I applied to be a lifeguard three years ago. <laughs> I had to do a oh, lot of okay. oh, awesome. and diving. <laughs> oh, so I'm sure you've got stories.
1: But so yeah. this, the pool here in City is the Ian Thorpe pool. And it is like state of the art. Like it looks like futuristic, like the Final Fantasy eight Palam school. Oh, awesome.
0: Like, cool.
1: <laughs> and even then I remember just whenever I see a drain, like that drain in the um the locker room, that's yeah. when I think about something bubbling up. And the idea that that thing can follow you anywhere because it's liquid, that is, so scary and yeah uh yeah that's I, so yeah I, would, I do think about that often I still think about that monster quite often
0: <laughs> I know I know it was pretty much a one- and done story but I would have loved to see like either a prequel or a sequel to it just to see it in action against new kids or a different setting to see how it, it would handle the situation
1: I think you could do a whole movie to be honest of that based off of that episode and it's interesting I think a lot of that episodes like that a lot of those really monstrous, with a hook kind of episodes, like, oh, it can follow you anywhere, or there's polls. I think that set me up for Doctor Who later mm. in life. Because a lot of kids in um, Britain and Australia who grew up watching Doctor Who, which we, we didn't in the US, it really wasn't available to us, so we didn't really have that experience. They, you know, I tell them about Are You Afraid of the Dark? they're like oh that's kind of like that was our that was doctor who for us or local mm-hmm. stuff i know that there's uh tons of australian children's show that are very similar okay. to are you afraid of the dark that a lot of people talk about but yeah that it, the idea of a monster that has those very specific rules like you can't blink or you can't go into the shadows or you mm-hmm. have to look at it and if you look away it, it's it's all very much it's very similar to that
0: yeah yeah I, yeah, I would say so. I mean, my memories of the Man's Float Zombie wall, I thought I had an interesting reaction when I first saw it, because I remember just standing like in my living room, watching it on like our 35 inch TV, which is really big at the time and seeing him emerge out of the pool. And I'm like, whoa, cool. It's <laughs>
1: really startling. Like, I, yeah. I remember being like, oh, that's. That's a lot. Like yeah, I, yeah, I remember specifically being like this is a, this is the next level. Well, because it's a corpse, and it's yeah. like, you don't really confront like it's all. And because it's red, it's almost gory, even though yeah. it's not. And yeah. I think that was so smart because it's very ambiguous.
0: Yes. Yeah. And that really You'd lends really itself to. <laughs> and also the the contrast between the pool water too. It's pretty much uh, color complementary in that re- regard, so it stands out. Yeah. It was more really than, well say, shot. Like, A white skeleton.
1: The lighting and the cinematography, again, I think were really good, especially use of water, because water is going to affect lighting a lot. And uh, again, for a kids' show, I'm glad that... Every, I, I think every project should be treated as if it's the most important thing in the world. And I, I get the sense that people really cared about this.
0: Oh, yes. This- should, yeah, DJ sure. McHale was at the helm for this particular episode, and he came back swinging after a lull in season four uh, with this one. Well, so, it's the first
1: it's the first episode. Of yeah, you gotta go big,
0: make an impression. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So wow. um, getting, back, getting back to my childhood memories of this, I remember just being like scared, but also excited at the same time because I was more into skeleton type monsters. And, you know, some of the more g- gruesome looking episodes of Are You of the Dark at that time, I was around second grade and um, there was there was a time where I would go over friends' houses, like my friend Josh's, because he had a, a in-ground pool. And you know, even though we'd like race to the deep end, just out of nowhere, that creepy music would pop into my mind, and I'm like, wait a minute, what if he's actually down here because he's invisible? <laughs> and I, it, oh, it's just God, that lingering no. thought while I'm down there. Counting down the seconds of how long I could hold my breath, I'm like, I'm going back to the shallow end, and I just frantically scurried back to the to the steps just so that just in case it wouldn't pull me down because my friend was on the other side of the pool at the time. Um, so that that's what really stuck out to me. And then there's a there's a couple other moments where um, we we got our above ground pool built, which is like this 30 feet diameter circle that was attached to our deck in the backyard. I've been in it. Yep. You can confirm that, so it's real. Um, Where I would practice holding my breath because of that instance, just so that I can have more room to maneuver in case I had to fight him or punch him underwater. And I, I was at a point where I was doing this frequent enough that I could hold my breath for about a straight minute without having issues. Now I could only hold it for like 10 seconds because I haven't had much practice. But back then I would just literally like push myself down to the surface, look up at the sky and just calm my mind and and just kind of taking the moment of being in the center of my pool underwater. And there's a few instances where I was doing it closer to nighttime. And I thought I saw like the silhouette of him just like (sighs) lingering like this on the on the edge of the pool, waiting to like float towards me when I wasn't paying attention. And of course, that would freak me out and I'd jump out, uh, catch my breath and then get my mind back into reality to reassure myself that, nope, that was, that was just a TV show, this didn't bother me. I love that episode, it didn't scare me. But I find I find that when I come back to these today, the scariest episodes leave the best impression on me and somehow it transforms from a state of fear to love because of how how deep of an impact it first left an impression. So um, yeah. luckily luckily, I don't have that issue of pulls now. I think it just kind of healed over time, but those those two instances in particular, when I was a, a kid in the '90s, it really affected me. Where it, it did have that Jaws effect. It was like the lingering threat, and if it got too close to you, it was boom, game over. But as long as you had some distance between you and the and the and the pool corpse, and you were okay, it's just that feeling like, oh shoot, it's coming after me. I have to get out, or else I'm done for.
1: <laughs> I think what you just said there about these. This why this monster really works and why it's so effective is because it's not just a specific childhood fear of drowning. It's all it's a universal fear. And when you look all over the world and across cultures, especially cultures where um, water is really vital, whether in religious or spiritual practice, or just I mean, water of course is vital to all of us. It's how yeah. we live. But um, here in Australia, there's a creature from aboriginal belief systems called the bunyip and it is a monster that will drown you if you go to close to the watering holes and water is really there's a lot of secret um beliefs around water here but the Bunyip is like the most prevalent monster that does that and it was you know parents would tell their children not to go into the water was because it will drown you and um what's interesting about that is that you know it's there's The idea that it's just—it's a spiritual belief. It's like kind of like a boogeyman, or it's it's a tale to tell children to prevent them from drowning when the you know the parents are doing other things. But the other thing that's kind of you know always sticks in the back of my mind is that, especially in Aboriginal culture, oral traditions are which are passed down like we're talking eighty thousand years, like really a long time. They're so precise, and the tradition of passing on stories is so. Just ingrained and accurate that when people studied uh, megafauna and fossilized records, they were able to put together animals that had not been seen in thousands and thousands and thousands of years, and link them to these folk, these stories, wow. these oral traditions. <laughs> so it does make one wonder if perhaps a bunyip or some sort of drowning monster d- did at one point exist, and if that existed well, this is such an ingrained fear of something causing us to drown and pulling us under, where does this, you know, is this just a shared collective unconscious or is there something out there?
0: Yeah, yeah, it really opens up the imagination to a plethora of questions in that regard, because if the spirit survived, can it change form or move on to other areas? Or, you know, I I always wondered about the story behind the story based off of what they, they don't mean. really know what it
1: was. No. He, the janitor just speculates that that's what it is. And that's right. also what's so creepy is that there's something a little unexplained. They're like, what is this thing? What are yeah. the rules? And did they really destroy it?
0: Yeah, I, I do have to mention since I had that childhood memory where I thought it was in my above ground pool a few times that when we put the pool cover on, it wouldn't always go on perfectly. And it was like a very dark colored tarp. It um, would rise up. Yeah, I always imagined his would rise up in the center of it, just waiting for uh, me to so come effective. back. And yeah, I, I think that's what Are You the Dark does best. It gives you like breadcrumbs to to kind of go off of in terms of what to expect, but it doesn't give you the whole slice of bread or the whole loaf. You have to figure that out on your own. And because we all have a different interpretation, um, it, it really feeds into our, our deeper, more primal fears that we have associated with it. And of course, you know there's plenty of people out there in the world who are afraid of drowning or even just death so uh it, it really leverages all the well-established parts of the human condition to the fullest here and that's what makes yeah it absolutely up so well three decades later and it'll continue to hold up well as time goes by
1: it's great storytelling
0: yeah yeah well I think we're going to wrap this uh, Nightmares as a Child episode up. But uh, thank you so much, Max, for joining me today and talking about the the pool zombie from Dead Man's Flow. I had a lot of fun, and uh, we would love to have you back on the podcast sometime, either for Are You Fred of the Dark or something else you'd love to talk about.
1: I would love, I mean, this is a lot of fun, and I could go on and on about all of these things. Um, thank you for having me on. If your audience wants to find me, I'm at Lost Treasure Pod on Twitter. I do Relic: The Lost Treasure podcast, which is about lost artifacts, kind of Indiana Jones. Goes through like the stories of like how they're lost, where they might be. I also do RPG Treasure Chest, really into treasure, seeing a theme here, uh, which is about JRPGs as well. And um, I'm a creative writer, and maybe one day you'll see me on professional wrestling. Who knows? At this point, (laughs) because I'm doing that too. So yeah, uh, I would love to be back that.
0: Awesome. Yeah, I know. I got so many ideas in my head that I'd love to share with you because we have that deep connection, and I feel like we can go in any direction we want, not just you Fear of the Dark. So there's, there's a lot of potential there. And for all you Slimesters at home who are avid fans of Splat Attack, uh, Max actually chimed in with us way back in Episode 12 of Season 1 where we did our favorite 90s holiday specials, and he talked about the Rugrats Hanukkah special. So if you're interested yeah. in hearing his take on that, definitely go check out that episode after you listen to this one. Uh, All right, slimesters, we're going to put out the campfire and head on home for today. But tune in next time for another Nightmares as a Child, where we tell more spine-tingling tales to give you nightmares. Splat you later. Manganite with water,
1: the reaction is always the same. Kaboom, lava well, surprise.